Dale. How are you doing today? Hey, Robin, I am living off the land and feeling grateful, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Spent the weekend at the circus and the circuit, learning how to be a clown and learning how to drive very, very fast, which some people might also call clown behavior. Yeah, so uh, Cato Networks, we sponsor the Porsche Formula E racing team. So if you see okay. Formula E and you see lots of fast driving cars, you know, our logo is plastered all over it. But I've been oh, yeah. a petrol head for many a year. So it's always good to get down to the track, to get into the weeds, into the gubbins, get covered in grease, and then uh, tell the wife that you've been doing legitimate things. Not just well, it's true, stealing spots. You can't though. get covered in grease anymore, and there's no there's no gasoline. It's You're living off the lecky, mm. baby. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you know, you have to move with the times. You really That's have right. to. Um, I mean, a lot of these electric vehicles, they have people concerned because you can't really see what's happening under the hood, and you have to just oh. trust the process. If right. you go back to the 1970s, you can get a carburetor, you can hit it with a hammer, you can make it work. That percussive maintenance will get you where you need to be. But electric <laughs> yeah. people are fearful. So yeah. uh, talking about being under the hood, let's talk about tunneling. Let's just jump straight yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. You, so, yeah, you know, <laughs> I said at the outset that uh, that I was living off the land and, and Robin as a as a cybersecurity practitioner yourself, I, I did catch you flinch a little bit for those that aren't watching on video. Uh, <laughs> but living off the land means something uh, entirely potentially different to those of us in the cybersecurity world. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with the term, living off the land is something that threat actors can potentially do uh, to carry out their objectives by utilizing tools that are accepted. So it could be tools that come with operating systems and so forth. In our particular instance, though, I wanted to talk about DNS and specifically mm -hmm. DNS tunneling. Now, this, this is a technique that threat actors have been using for, boy, Robin, I think it's north of 20 years uh, when we mm -hmm. really became aware of this. Um, one example that comes to my mind that is still very much in the news today is uh, oil rig, the oil rig mm -hmm. threat group, which is a, a nation state actor, been tied to nation state activities. But DNS, most folks know what DNS is. For those who don't, it's basically the phone book for the internet. That's a really simplistic way to say it. So how do I take a human readable thing like Amazon.co.uk and turn it into one of those uh, esoteric IP addresses that that we connect to, so that our browsers can let us, you know, shop online for our favorite uh, Formula E gear. So uh, that's essentially what it is. But to to break it down in in technical terms a, a little bit more, Robin, we know that ordinarily when you are using something like a browser and you're looking up a domain name. And uh, I'll use the example we gave, Amazon.co.uk. Other the domain UK names are available. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's our... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you checked. <laughs> um, Amazon.co.uk, the UK portion, that's the top-level domain. Then there's a mm -hmm. second level, which is the CO. And then in this particular instance, the Amazon portion is the, the third level. Now, each of these levels are referred to as labels. So if you're thinking in very basic terms, anything separated by a dot is a label. And those labels can be up to 63 characters long. Okay, great. So, so what, right? What does this have to do with threat actors? Well, 
Threat actors can uh, utilize these facts to do not only command and control, but they can actually exfiltrate data simply using these uh, URLs, right? Using these labels. So DNS mm -hmm. tunneling is a technique that uses those labels to either do command and control or to actually take data out of an organization. Think ransomware, Robin, right? One of the six E's mm -hmm. is exfiltration, taking data. So mm -hmm. how do the, the threat actors actually do this? So after they have managed to get in and they've managed to do their lateral movement, they will, if they haven't already pre-established it, they will set up a DNS server and mm -hmm. they will register a domain that the malware, uh, whatever the malware is trying to attempt, will reach out and contact. And what they will do is because DNS is something that is allowed in the environment, they feel confident that they'll be able to utilize DNS queries to get data out of there or to, uh, to do command and control. So let's, let's get specific, Robin. I set up a domain. Let's call it um, evildomain.com. Right ooh, now, I probably wouldn't ooh, use don't, that. Ooh, don't, don't navigate to that. Oh, dangerous! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, and that's just it, Robin. I, I, I use ooh. it as an example, but it's it really it's a terrible example because anybody who's watching is going to see DNS requests for EvilDomain.com and say, you know, that's probably not good, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, so typically, <laughs> what threat actors will do is they'll either they'll typo squat. So we had a recent uh, instance that we identified where the domain they set up was oneidrive.com instead of onedrive.com, mm -hmm. right, from Microsoft. So they were kind of squatting on a typo, hoping that nobody would actually see it. Or they may use something like, like a domain generating algorithm, which we've discussed previously. But mm -hmm. here's what happens. They set that up. They make sure that it's registered with a, a DNS server that they have access to. And then the malware will start doing DNS requests. Sounds really mm -hmm. simple, right? And chances are the organization will allow that traffic because DNS, what could possibly go wrong? But what's happening is the threat actor is uh, using maybe the third level label, the third level domain to actually encode data. So the label contains data. Remember, it can be up to 63 mm -hmm. characters long. So, you know, you do the math, that's about 63 bytes of data that they could be literally in, embedding into the DNS request. And then the threat mm -hmm. actor who monitors the requests can see that label, they can strip that label off there, and they can reconstitute the data. So this is pretty slick, mm -hmm. uh, being able to do this. So, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, they could be exfiltrating status of a system or, or mm -hmm. you know, linking it up with Mimikatz and, and exfiltrating credentials. That's another great way mm -hmm. to, to utilize DNS tunneling uh, or even data payload. You know, they're literally stealing data. So this is one that ransomware actors would love to use. Now, mm -hmm. the reply could even trigger... Um, command and control. So depending on the reply that the malicious uh, DNS server gives back, it could actually trigger something from a command and control standpoint, uh, or as I said, really assemble that data. So he here's the trick here, Robin, we've got multiple contexts that we need to be checking to prevent 
DNS tunneling, because again, we're living off the land. We're going to allow mm -hmm. DNS traffic. So we need to look at things like, you know, how old is the domain? What, what's the domain's age? What's the, what's the domain's reputation? If it's a, a previously established domain, does it have a reputation? Can we tell if it was generated with a domain generating algorithm? Um, are we using typo squatting? We even might need to be able to determine if DNS tunneling is taking place based on the number of DNS queries, right? So we've got to monitor the amount of traffic and, uh, and even the label itself. So that little portion of the label that, that we talk about that may have that data, we might need machine learning to take a look at that and say, you know what, this does not look like a known language. This looks like it could actually be code or it could be data or, or any number of items. So point is, Probably the best way to be able to mitigate this is you're going to have to have unified context to, to take a look mm -hmm. at this traffic because, again, it's, it's living off the land. It's very, very difficult to catch these kinds of things because DNS is used so much in the mm -hmm. environment and it's, it's usually given unrestricted uh, access. So how do you well, mitigate? It's, actually, unified it's really easy to mitigate, actually, Bill. Super easy. You just don't use DNS. You know, own real... <laughs> right. IT enthusiasts only remember sure. IP addresses. If you use DNS, you're a poser. You know, you're right. not really into it. Yeah, you need to compile Gen 2 from source or with Linux. Yes. You need to be typing every single IP address or alternatively, yes. just run your own DNS internally. Stand up your own DNS server and anything that doesn't match, block. Google.com? No, we don't need that. Code.uk, yeah, right. that's all you need. Stick to the brick. Do we, do we refer to those people as IP kitties that, that require DNS, right? <laughs> I mean, my gosh. No, no you're right. That means more realistic. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. No, so you're, you're right. I mean, there, there's certain, we could certainly get crazy about it, and, and, and it's ridiculous, right? It interferes with the ability to, to do business and so forth. So you're going to have mm -hmm. to allow the traffic. That's we know that it, it's what happens today, but you're going to have to put something on top that is really watching. It's utilizing machine learning. It's looking at domain, all those things that we just mentioned. We mm -hmm. certainly uh, we, we can certainly bring that to the table. And I would argue that's probably the easiest way is is, mm -hmm. you know, have have a solution that is a, a true sassy solution that that has that unified context and can identify from one or many of those characteristics that we're looking at potential dns tunneling okay so from just a you know i like analogies and the metaphors and all of that of fun so i'm stood at a delivery center i'm staring over a, a banister and i'm seeing thousands of parcels underneath me and the majority of these parcels are legitimate they have their name they have their addresses the dns queries identified so right. how do I identify which parcel is trying to tunnel in the wrong direction? You say right. AI, but what sort of patterns do I need to look for to make sure that it's going to a legitimate instead of an illegitimate location? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the task of machine learning, right? Machine learning is understanding, uh, you know, whether it's the language itself and recognizing that mm -hmm. this doesn't match a pattern. Uh, there are formats, right? We, we certainly understand that uh, using the, the parcel analogy, that addresses have a format. And if that format doesn't look right, if it, if it looks like something, uh, you know, is, is unusual or it's, or it's sharing information that it shouldn't, then we need to be able to catch that. Um, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, is, is the address a legitimate address? Uh, where, where is this thing? Where's this parcel supposedly going? So yeah, it's any number of those things that, that a, a model like that is going to have to learn and correlate mm-hmm. in order to identify that, that, that particular parcel might be carrying something it shouldn't. So if you don't have an architecture that has single analytical context powered by machine mm. learning, doing mm. reputation analysis, doing URL or secure web gateway, intercepting all of that data. That's right. How can you protect? Because it seems like this is a very big area. You can't block all DNS traffic. That is ridiculous. You of can't course. snipe individual DNS requests from the entire barrier unless you're doing full URL analysis. And I think anybody with greater than two employees trying to monitor all the traffic or every Mm. website access, that is a, well, an unrealistic expectation. Unless you hire one network monitoring person to one individual. Like the FBI or the uh, CIA does. You know, you get your allocated (laughs) agents when you join the internet. They monitor everything you do. And we all know that happens. That's right. How can you prevent against it? Well, uh, as you said, mitigating this is highly restrictive you have to have that solution with with the unified context and and certainly that's something that we try to bring to the table uh, i think very successfully because we can we can demonstrate any number of use cases that are combined uh, you know combining both typo squatting with uh, with domains that are recently registered and, and then identifying mm-hmm. that traffic is is being tunneled out on the third level domain in that URL. So we, we have a demonstrated track record of being able to do that. And Robin, you've got to be able to do that without building a massive staff. Mm-hmm. Oh, and definitely. that's that's the benefit of this security mm-hmm. as a solution. Look, that you've got an entire, entire team of threat analysts and data analysts that are behind you that are able to uh, identify those kinds of things, develop signatures, develop the the intelligence behind the scenes that's going to be able to do that. And the thing that you need to worry about is making sure that uh, you have your incident response plan ready to go when that's identified. Mm-hmm. Much, yeah. much better approach. Base it on policy, be ready for your incident response and know how to mitigate immediately. Indeed. And if you do have a SASE solution or if you have adopted a full SASE architecture, the cloud-managed context will make this a whole lot easier. Certainly everything will. will be logged, everything will be captured, everything's indexed. Your right. secure web analysis in all forms will be consistent at every edge, and you will also benefit from the collective hive mind of others. So That's if right. we if we or if they, I say they, if a sassy vendor identifies some uh, poor traffic or some attempted DNS tunneling to a a newly generated domain on one customer, they should have the collective brains to be able to apply that protection everywhere. So you they benefit should. from the power of the group or the power of collective. That's right. But Bill, some, sometimes though, uh, having the power of collective can actually cause a little bit of pain. Uh, mm. <laughs> if, mm. if mishandled or misappropriated, misappropriated, that's a hard word to say. It is. Have you ever heard of a tool called Shodan? Oh my goodness! Yes, Shodan, absolutely. It's a it's a mainstay of uh, well, let's say OSN, Robin. Mm-hmm. Open source intelligence. Everything you can say or will provide to the internet will definitely be used against you one way or another. That's right. So Tell us Shod- the danger, Shodan. Robin. What do you got with Shodan? And yeah, well, Shodan, for those who aren't aware, is effectively. A database. It's a collection of machines, cameras, internet-connected devices, one way or another. And Shodan 
indexes all of this. It archives and gets as much publicly accessible information as possible. This might include basic things like IP addresses and locations, but it might also include data such as, oh, I don't know, the manufacturer and firmware version of your internet-connected camera. Or it might be able to be used to find websites that have unsecured logins or right. servers connected to the internet using default admin-admin credentials. So anybody with a slight amount of curiosity can hop onto the website, which is freely accessible, search for a specific item, and then ver validate or understand the device posture or security posture. Now, the legitimate legal reason for using this bill is quite simple. Verify that your environment is locked down and nothing that you're putting to the internet is shown to be vulnerable. And that's, that's right. what everybody uses Shodan for, of course. You, you go on there, you search for your IP addresses, you search for your locations, and verify nothing pops up. There we go. That's, uh, I think, have you ever used Shodan for this purpose? I have used it multiple times for that purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Ex Indeed. Exclusively? <laughs> Exclusively. Well, Shodan, <laughs> there's multiple websites like this, but Shodan, I think, is probably the largest. Um, it is. Probably yeah. followed closely by Census, maybe. But Shodan yeah, sure. is certainly the, the, the big one. Now, I used to use Shodan for just looking around to identify any form of vulnerability or open source. And that used to take a little while, finding the typing the right vendor name in, trying to find the right OS type, the IPs, zooming in on a location, building your search string. It might have taken 15 to 20 minutes to build that craft. However, this week, something bad happens. Something good mm. happens. Something changed. Yes. And that is the advent of... AI, the artificial intelligence applied to Shodan mm. to instead of uh, having to find a craft a unique search string, you can use plain text. That's you right. Can hop on there and type, find me unencrypted cameras. Right. So, out of interest, theoretically, one could go online and type, find me unencrypted cameras. And within a few seconds, be able to see into stores or people's homes, their drives. Or theoretically, you know, not that I found it, maybe a few Airbnb cameras, which have default admin-admin login credentials, broadcasting people's private, sensitive lives to the world because they're unscrupulous people that want to monitor people 24 by 7. Or theoretically, of course. Now, right. this opens a massive, massive floor to the world. AI is not new. AI has been around for many years, but the accessibility of generative and programmatic AI has become crazy easy over the past few months. Anybody can hop onto ChatGPT or Midjourney or Dali and generate something mediocre. And that's fine because mediocrity is generally the purpose of AI. It's, it establishes a baseline, a sure. canvas from an artist to work from. It removes writer's block for those who want to be creative professionals. But now that AI has stepped into the world of vulnerability identification, all of the script kiddies, all of the naysayers and the ne'er-do-wells can quite quickly hop on and say, hey, Shodan, find me unsecured RDP access on Windows 7 terminals in New York. Mm. And within a few moments, they have access. So tell me, Bill, how can we protect against this robotic AI overlord? What can we do to lock down our environments? This is a big philosophical conversation, Robin, because there, for the longest time, it was thought that uh, a good solution was security 
by obscurity. And mm-hmm. that was not only from the perspective of looking at your, your footprint and making sure that that was as minimized as possible, but also the obscurity of tool sets. So, you know, I think of things like, I'm going to give an analogy as well. I think of things like lock picks uh, for physical locks. There used to be a day when it was nigh on to impossible to get a hold of lock picks to actually do lock crafting. <laughs> and therefore it was secure. Now mm-hmm. it's very, very easy to, to get out on a site, like I mentioned earlier, and buy yourself a, a kit. And mm-hmm. uh, I think one of, the, one of the most horrifying things I learned, this is just an aside, Robin, but one of the most horrifying things I learned is that the, the standard door lock that you would find in the United States uh, only has about 72,000 possible combinations. So if you live in mm-hmm. a city bigger than 72,000 people, chances are extraordinarily high without going into the birthday hypothesis. Chances are extraordinarily high that somebody has your same key, right? So uh, going back to what you're talking about here, the the applying of you know generative adversarial networks uh, or, or we'll call them AI to these tool sets really increases the accessibility of the tool. And of course, that does become dangerous because now you you get those whose expertise may be much lower, but whose interest in in doing something fun is much higher. You've now you've now really increased your attack surface, so to speak, or certainly the number of uh, to use a sports analogy, number of shots on goal. So, really good philosophical question: How do we protect against something like that? Well, how do you protect against increased availability to your house keys? Well, you're going to have to increase the complexity <laughs> of the system. But there will still be people who get drunk at the bar and leave their house keys up, <laughs> up in one place. Or sure. the people, going back to the motor analogy even further back, people who have their sat-nav with their home address setters home. And then when their yeah, car keys get stolen, they that's right. know that uh, nobody's at home and they get taken home and then they do even more. Security of, <laughs> through obscurity has never been a good approach, but it's been an acceptable approach. Having long URL paths, having very difficult to navigate websites. And if you've ever tried using the IRS websites, that's security through obscurity as well. You can't find what you need when you need it. (laughs) Right. But now that accessibility is becoming at the forefront, either with these large language models one way or another, or through just making technology more accessible for those with disabilities, the right. security itself is diminishing. So you need to be focused more on the underlying underpinning technology to actually protect and prevent where you are. So websites like Showdown, it's just the start. This is, isn't going to be the end. This is very much the tip of the iceberg. And we are going to see more legitimate breaches, not through very complex technological means, but purely from people having the internet of things connected to a publicly accessible resource that somebody's just clicked one day and gained access to. Of course. Some people might think that, oh, okay, a a camera, camera in office, that's fine. Somebody can see what they're going to see, me walking down the hallway. But then, yeah, they see you working down the hallway. They identify your moving patterns. They identify who's in the office, when they're in the office. Maybe they're carrying sensitive documents. Maybe you start to share more than you realize. Some of these cameras have have microphones and actually pick up audio, what's being shared. The chances of you being attacked? probably slim. However, if I told you somebody was always watching you in your living room, would you rest peacefully? 
Probably not. I can stand outside your window, Bill, and not do anything and just stare into your window all day, every day. Sure. If you're comfortable with that, then fine. But most people, uh, you think that's going to be a risk. Somebody's doing something for a reason. So you need to lock down that some way. That's right. So Shodan, it's still in this beta, but oh, it's uh, pretty powerful so far. Where would you think the next uh, bone rattling thing will be? Well, I think it's just, I, I think the bone rattling piece is going to be the expansion of the application of this mm-hmm. technology. I'm also excited about it, Robin, because just as it's expanding and and creating additional opportunities to attack, it's also expanding in terms of <laughs> us getting smarter about how we as defenders try to defend. So it's, it's mm-hmm. an interesting time we certainly live in. In fact, I would invite anybody, uh, if you're not familiar with Kirchhoff's principle, it's a principle often applied to cryptography, go do some research on Kirchhoff's principle because it applies to cybersecurity and this question of artificial intelligence and the systems that are being built uh, utilizing it. Uh, I, I think it'll give you a good picture for where we are, where we're going, and how both exciting and troubling the future looks right now. Well, on that depressing note, Bill, thank you for your time. (laughs) You stay safe out there, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, you too. Take care, Robin. Okay, okay, let's hit that stop record. That's funny. Depressing note. (laughs) 